Welcome to the Good Cities Podcast with news and information about city movements around the world. Brought to you by GoodCities.net. Today we continue our eight-part series in which Good Cities President Glenn Barth interviews our city coach Reggie McNeil. This series is based on Reggie's most recent book, Kingdom Collaborators, Eight Signature Practices of Leaders Who Turn the World Upside Down. Today we're in the sixth podcast in this series, and the focus is on the signature practice of kingdom leaders to curry leadership curiosity. Hello, this is Glenn Barth of Good Cities, and it's good to be with you for another podcast today. Today we're continuing our series of podcasts with Reggie McNeil, my colleague at Good Cities, and the author of Kingdom Collaborators, Eight Signature Practices of Leaders Who Turn the World Upside Down. And we've been talking about how kingdom leaders distinguish themselves with their practices and habits. And in today's conversation, we're going to focus on what Reggie observes as the signature practice of kingdom leaders who curry leadership curiosity. Reggie, welcome to the podcast. And just start us off by telling us what you mean when you say kingdom leaders curry leadership curiosity. Well, I wanted you to have to say that twice so that uh, people on the podcast would know that you're sober. Um, Thanks, Reg. You can Thanks. say curry leadership curiosity. I can't even get through it once. I don't know why I would write it that way. But anyway, uh, it. bottom line, these folks are in, intentional in their curious posture in life and in leadership. They... Uh, they surround, we can talk about, we'll unpack this a little bit on how they maintain that curious posture, but they are just uh, determined not to stale out. They're always seeking for new insights, uh, new information, uh, new wisdom, uh, and when you're around them, they are just as fresh as, you know, uh, today's news or even better, and and they they build structures and um, pieces of their life in to make sure that they stay in that posture. And like I say, we can unpack that as we go through, but uh, I, I, maybe a story would help. Um, I'm thinking about a, a, a man, a, a world leader, a kingdom leader um, that I met and you know, he who had an insatiable curiosity one of the youngest people I've ever been around, and I didn't meet him until he was in his upper 70s. But he was so young because his mind was so fresh and open and in pursuit of things. And, and probably uh, most of the folks uh, listening to the podcast have heard of the Gallup found, uh, organization. And he's the guy that owned the Gallup organization, Don Clifton. And uh, he bought the Gallup organization away from... Uh, uh, the Gallup family in Princeton, New Jersey, uh, some years ago after he had served that organization as a vendor, a computer, a researcher. Uh, so the Clifton family, and now his son runs it, um, so the Clifton family really is the the family in the, uh, behind uh, our, what we know currently as the Gallup organization. Now, Don was a professor at the University of Nebraska, uh, his uh, his focus was on educational psychology, and he was absolutely convinced that people would grow their best if they got to do what they were best at. 
if they could learn. In fact, his uh, one of his uh, messages is if we could uh, put people in learning situations that that pos- uh, that that tilted toward their learning styles. You know that I mean, he was famous he, to say we try to turn ducks into birds and uh, birds into squirrels and all that through our educational system. He was so bent on helping uh, what is now called, of course, a strength philosophy. But when I first met him over 20 years ago, no one was thinking like that. I mean, all of the major leadership organizations uh, in training places, I mean, high-dollar premier uh, leadership schools, they were all following a pathology-based approach to helping people figure out what's wrong with them and how to fix it. I mean, they would even have psychology. I remember one uh, one very fine organization. I mean, it's trained, uh, you know, uh, every general in the U.S. Army and all that. I mean, they, you would spend a week there. People would observe you literally like a lab rat, <laughs> and they would give these observations back. So at the end of the week, you would be thoroughly acquainted with everything that you're messed up at. And and then you'd be sent out with a whole bunch of stuff to try to fix that. Well, Don was convinced that while you couldn't ignore your weaknesses, your best contribution was going to be if you could get better at what you were already good at. So he developed the Strengths Finder that, you know, so many people listening to our podcast are well aware of. But he was a pioneer in that. It's now commonplace to think about playing to people's strengths and and, you know, helping people figure out what they're good at. That was not true before Don Clifton came along and used his massive influence uh, late in life uh, tasking his senior scientists to do a meta-analysis of the two million um, leadership uh, interviews that they had in the Mamahog machine there in Omaha. Oh, actually, it was in Nebraska uh, and Lincoln at that time. Uh, and they, they developed that whole uh, taxonomy of strengths that we now call Strengths Finder. All of that was because, well, first of all, Don's conviction, but secondly, his insatiable curiosity to figure out what makes people tick, when are people most alive, when are they most able to make their best contribution. He was completely given over to that, and he was always looking for new insights into it. I, I would say this. He told me, and, and, and others, of course, but in our uh, relationship, he said, Reggie, we don't have a, a language to talk about strengths. We have a language to talk about pathologies. He said everyone in America without a, a medical degree can talk about you know, uh, schizophrenia and, and ADHD and, and all these, uh, you know, paranoia and all, all of these uh you know, uh, mental health issues and problems and psychological issues, he said, but no one has a, we don't have a corresponding way to talk about people's strengths. That's what he was determined to give the world, and that's what he did through StrengthsFinder. I say all of that to say, look what one guy does to change the whole conversation uh, because he was just curious. And uh, and, and he was, uh, uh, every time you, know, you were around Doc, that's what, folks close to him called he, he would talk about something new his eyes literally his eyes would twinkle uh, and he's just an amazing human being so i think a personal example like that may help to uh, kind of give face to what i'm talking about when i talk about someone a kingdom leader who curries leadership curiosity uh, reggie i love that and uh, you just tied together uh, 
some loose ends for me. I, I knew George Gallup Jr., and uh, he at one time had invited me to be on his uh, advisory council, and uh, I wasn't quite sure how they got from Princeton, New Jersey, to Lincoln, Nebraska, right, although right. I, I, was, uh, I was working with a, uh, a Young Life committee here in Minneapolis, and uh, one of our committee members uh, knew Don Clifton as well, and uh, he moved out to uh, Lincoln, Nebraska to work with him out there. And uh, so I, I just, uh, I'm fascinated. I thought maybe they just had a spur office out there, and it no. turns out now that's where their headquarters is. Well, and, they, and Don actually moved the headquarters, and, and, and as long as he was active at it pretty much until the very end of his uh, days, um, uh, the Gallup stayed in Lincoln, but he put the plans in motion to move it to Omaha. Uh, hmm. But he taught at the University of Nebraska, so that's that's why the, the uh, Gallup uh, headquarters, worldwide headquarters, was in Lincoln, Nebraska. But he did move it. And if you go there to their, uh, what they call Gallup University now, that campus there where they have their headquarters, it's just magnificent. And, of course, Don saw all of that. I mean, and he's an avid, avid Nebraska University. Uh, every Friday during football season, he would play, uh, you know, the Nebraska fight song or whatever at noon, and everyone, no matter what they were doing, were forced to come out of their offices and cheer. I mean, you know, I say force. I mean, he just a he he, he just built such an esprit de corps, um, and uh, it, he was so far ahead in so many ways. You know, letting people decorate their own offices, but having a common space if you had drank coffee or had a break, you took it where you were meeting with your coworkers. I mean, he just knew that people up against people were spawning great ideas. And just, just he, he was so far ahead um, well, I, of, of I everyone. suppose, Reggie, as, as you talk about that, I, I'm picturing he let everybody decorate their offices so long as they were red and white. Yeah, right. <laughs> no. I mean, it, it, it was so, he was so into helping people become – yeah. and reflect who they were. In other words, there's no corporate template. There's none of this, you know, banal, you know, everyone's the same. Not with Don. Yeah, no, he, he was committed. And uh, it, it, it was funny. I had dinner at his house, uh, and uh, we were walking by into the house, and uh, there was a statue, a statue piece of statuary out in the front little courtyard right there. And I said, that is beautiful. And he said, yes, that." People's Republic of China gave that to me for introducing democracy into China. Wow. <laughs> I looked wow. at him. I said, what? Because I knew, I was, <laughs> you know, he's pulling my life. He said, well, you know, they had us over there to construct their first <laughs> polling. And he said, when you start asking people their opinion about things, they get used to being asked. And so, you know, that little <laughs> twinkle in his eye again, you know, just that kind of, that kind of, uh, uh, elfish, uh, but you, you just loved to be around him just because he was always telling you something that was so stunningly uh, insightful. Uh, but it was just, just his insatiable curiosity. Well, there's two things that strike me about that story about uh, Don Doc Clifton. Uh, and the one is, first of all, here he's in his 70s. He's still got that young spirit within him. And, uh, and he's curious, always wanting to learn, which made him a lifelong learner. And as I was reading this chapter from Kingdom Collaborators again, lifelong learning is another key characteristic of leaders who turn the world upside down, isn't it? 
Oh, my goodness, yeah. I remember he's another example for someone out of the business world, you know, just the icon of, of modern management and all that. Peter Trucker, I remember reading um, an, an interview that he gave. I think it was to Forbes or or uh, it doesn't matter. But in a magazine, he, was, he had turned 80, and they were interviewing him, uh, you know, out in uh, the school there at Claremont, California, and um, he's, um, they're saying, what, what are you teaching now that you weren't teaching 70 years ago? And he said, oh, I'm not teaching anything that I was teaching 10 years ago. Now, 10 years ago would have been age 70. Now, how many folks <laughs> do you know at age 70 are just kind of, they give a lecture to kind of blow the dust off of, you know, the, the notes that they've been, you know. But here he is at 80, still leaning in, still learning, still determined, you know, to bring the, the best, uh, you know, to, to the folks around him. And, um, oh, my gosh, what it'd be, it would be impossible to calculate his impact on people, just people that I know who who knew him. I didn't know him personally, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like Bob Buford at Leadership Network, you know, was his uh, number one fan and, um, you know, devotee. And, uh, I mean, Bob, when you, of course, I knew Bob, um, and he would quote Peter like quoting scripture. <laughs> I mean, it was like, well, you know, Peter said, and I mean, and <laughs> just think about leveraging the impact in, but there again, it's because My he goodness. was a lifelong learner. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, Reggie, I, I know, uh, and probably many of our listeners know that for many years you were with leadership network and, uh, I had gone to leadership network events. I'm going to age myself here in the early 1990s. <laughs> And yeah. uh, and Peter Drucker, of course, uh, had had sewn into Leadership Network the notion that having worked with businesses to implement some some of the best management techniques, he really decided it was time to branch out back to the social sector. And right. uh, the first place he wanted to start was with large churches to help yep. them get better management in place, so they'd be more effective at moving the needle in cities yep. and communities. And I, I know that, uh, you know, his ethos really permeated Leadership Network and Halftime and, uh, yep. and certainly Bob Buford's life, but I think it probably impacted you because I, I know when you came with Good Cities, one of the things you said was, I, I really feel like this is the sweet spot where we need to focus on how the kingdom is impacting our world. Yeah. Well, and that's true, uh, and I really think that if if Peter were, I don't want to speak for him, but you know, if he were doing the same kind of um, assessment uh, that he did of the last quarter of the 20th century, um, I would think, from all indicators, he would he would assess that uh, you know where the green edge of the Christian movement, uh, the church movement in North America now is to come back out and play. I mean, we went in and we built these magnificent uh, churches <clears throat> and um and in some cases thinking that would usher in the kingdom of God just by mm-hmm. having a great church, but but and I'm not against great churches. I work with a lot of great church leaders, uh but our our focus has got to move uh from a church-centric to a kingdom-centric agenda and and, and that's why and you, i study kingdom collaborators you know 
And, yeah, and, and when you do that, Reggie, when you begin to bring it back to a kingdom-centric place, you begin to value people of all callings. And I think Peter Drucker would have loved this because it would have brought the, the church leaders back together with, uh, with leaders in commerce and business, industry, and government yes. to move the needle yes. together in a kingdom direction. And, and I think this brings us to the verge of another topic in your chapter. We talked about lifelong learning. There also has to be this other side of things. There's some things we need to unlearn because when That's we right. learn these things and we put some things into practice over time, some things become obsolete, don't they? Well, yes, and uh, the example you just mentioned uh, or that we were talking, I mean, the move from a church-centric to a kingdom-centric ministry agenda, for instance, mm -hmm. requires enormous unlearning in order mm -hmm. to reposition ourselves. I mean, we, we, we learned how to, you know, uh, look for God at church and look for ways to build people at church and uh, ways to engage their families at church and, what, you know, at, at church, at church, at church. But here we are in a world that's not coming to church, and we better figure out how to intersect people, uh, you know, already uh, in, in, in business and in their homes and in the sports arenas and the uh, sports clubs and, and whatever, schools, whatever else, because God is at work doing most of his work in the world outside the church, so we better figure out, you know, how to join him in his work there. So... Uh, but, but, you know, this is not the first time we've had to unlearn something uh, in order to, to position us to work with God. I mean, the premier example to me, right out of the pages of the New Testament, is the, you know, the Apostle Paul. Think of everything he had to unlearn so that he could partner with God in this new movement that God had initiated through visiting the planet you know, uh, through Jesus Christ. And, and so Paul's on his way to Damascus, you know, to put some folks in jail for this uh, radical new thing because it was, you know, challenging certainly his worldview. And he is, he is struck down and struck blind and struck helpless by a resurrected being. Now, if you're a Pharisee in the first century and you're looking for the kingdom of God to come, you're thinking it's going to come, uh, because you've been taught this way, that there would be, uh, when enough people uh, would obey the law, then there would be a resurrection of the just, and that resurrection would uh, initial, uh, be the initial indicator that the kingdom of God was coming on earth, the messianic kingdom. And so now what happens when you bump into a resurrected being? Uh, you know, uh, but everyone hasn't been obeying the law. And I mean, all of that order gets in. And then you're thinking, but wait a minute, the resurrection, that means the messianic kingdom's here. That, oh, my goodness. Oh, boy, did we mess up. You know, um, and so he's got to think through that. But not only just the order of how God is showing up, but just the very nature of God. I mean, you know, uh, every Orthodox Jew, I mean, you know, the Shema of Deuteronomy, you know, the monotheism that the, the Jews gifted the world with is, uh, you know, uh, he has to figure out how in a monotheistic framework you give expression to the Son of God uh, visiting the, the planet. And then later, uh, you know, he's, he's uh, Jesus tag teams with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit takes over 
working Paul over uh, there in in Damascus till uh, you know our our friend who who was it that went uh, that was sent to uh, talk to Paul there you know the spirit said go there I've been working Paul over can't uh, gosh I can't pull up his name uh, Ananias Ananias yeah 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 so uh, yeah. you've got you know uh, you here Paul has met two. Uh, divine, uh, you know, expressions of God. What we would later call them mm-hmm. persons of God here in the Son and the Spirit. He's got to figure out how that works. And so, <laughs> you know, no wonder, no wonder he has to go to the desert. You know, put his head together. I mean, you know, he's, he's just he's and and then on top of that, he has to unlearn all of the biases of the Pharisee. Thank, you know, you started every day. Thank you, God. I was not made a, you know, a Gentile, a, a, a slave, or or a woman. And, and 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 what does he say exactly in Galatians? You know, there are in in Christ there are no, you know, Gentile, Jew, slave, or free, male or female. I mean, look at the, I mean, what is? There's not a clearer expression of Paul's conversion than that statement. That his total world and life view has been turned inside out. So so I Paul's think, a yeah. great example of unlearning. Yeah. That's so exciting to, to just think think that one through. Uh, I've been recently reading N.T. Wright's book, Paul, A Biography, and in that book, one of the things he points out is Paul didn't stop learning just with the road no. to Damascus, the desert experience. He then goes on to the Antioch Church, and uh, there he's got a multicultural church that's, that is unlike any gathering of people that's ever been seen in the ancient world where people always... Yeah kept kept to their own ethnicity and yeah. believed every other ethnicity was wrong. <laughs> yeah. And, Sounds like denominations. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then and then beyond that, when Paul is imprisoned in Ephesus, Paul has to deal with the fact that although he's been called to go before the Gentiles and their rulers in his initial calling, he might not get there by networking his way to the top. Instead mm. He, he realizes that the road is the same as the one Jesus took, the road of the mm. suffering servant. And, mm. uh, and, and that took him a while. Even a, uh, it, it looks like in the early chapters of 2 Corinthians, he went through a, a very deep depression until he yes. came to the conclusion that he was suffering in the same pattern Christ was because it came with countercultural kingdom work. And, and every one of those stages, everything you're pointing out here, you have to be willing, you know, to unlearn something. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and, and the unlearning curve is often steeper than the learning curve. Um, right. You know, and I, I'm a friend of mine, Larry uh, James, is, is uh, leads City Square in Dallas, magnificent organization. Uh, Larry's book, The Wealth of the Poor, captures his unlearning. What he had to unlearn, you know, he says, we have to unlearn that poor people, for instance, because he's doing some magnificent work with, you know, with food and, and with clothing and with employment opportunities and helping people with immigration and, you know, uh, as I said, job training and all this stuff that he's in, in homelessness. Oh, my goodness. Over 2,000 people have homes, you know, because of, of Larry's work there. So, hmm. so his, um, but one of his key insights is, you know, just because people don't have money doesn't mean they don't have resources, mm. and you know, of time and right. relationships 
in you know life skills in some in many cases and certainly life wisdom i mean and mm-hmm. so you know that's that's kind of a a bit of unlearning when i think about someone contemporary who's who's been able to do so much work now because those those unquestioned biases that so many of us carry including me need to be questioned but it takes a curious leader to do that to say huh I wonder if that's really the way it is. <laughs> you know, you know that, that's, and, that's unlearning. You know, you know what you're saying. I though I think really is uh, is critically important. The one characteristic you just brought up there is is maybe having the humility that it takes. First of all, to yeah. uh, to step yeah. back and wonder and unlearn something, and then mm. it takes courage mm-hmm. because you know. In our day and age, it, it just seems like once somebody has put their stake in the ground about something, even if all kinds of new information comes up, it, people are criticized for changing their mind. But yeah. if, you, if you change your mind because there's good reasons to and you can lay it all out, it still right. takes a lot of courage. It still yes, takes it a does. lot and humility to do that. What about you, you uh, kind of wonder why Copernicus waited until – the oh. day he died, you know, to put to publish his book. <laughs> yeah, know, I think, you know, on it totally changed the frame of reference for everyone on the planet. But anyway, uh, wow. okay. I, I, I was yeah, going to interrupt. I was going to say, um, I I also think that that the kind of people that we surround ourselves with is pretty important. And and you say say exactly that in your book. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm somewhat surprised at some of the characteristics you draw out because uh, a lot of times I think we like to be around people who are sort of like us and that we're really comfortable with. But that's not true yeah. with these kinds of leaders, is it? Oh, no. Man, I mean, they have a large band. They just have a larger bandwidth, it seems to me, of being able to, um, you know, they're kind of like be around folks that aren't like them. They thrive. Uh, being around people that, you know, aren't exactly like them, whether it's, uh, you know, life stage or, or you know, ethnicity or, uh, you know, culture, social background, whatever. They're just, they just thrive. They just soak up, uh, seems like, and they just get energy uh, from from being around folks. In a, so people who aren't like them, but they're not just diversity for diversity's sake. I mean, they're learners with those folks. And then, they also are able, unlike a lot of people, they're able to have people around them that challenge them. I mean, they don't want just a bunch of yes people. Um, they, they don't want folks that just reflect back to them, you know, the latest thought they've had. They they like being challenged because that feeds their curiosity. And mm. and then, of course, I think an, an, uh, it's been my ex, uh, experience, you get a kingdom collaborator, a kingdom leader, and just – let them start talking about who their friends are and who they hang out with. You find out they hang out with a lot of people that are just flat out interesting. I mean, I don't know how to say that any other way, but they just don't hang out with dull people. I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, they they're their their quiver is full of folks that are, you know, characters and uh, have interesting jobs or. Or and that doesn't just happen, Glenn. I mean, hmm. it's not like you know God just dumped a bunch of you know sorting out folks like that. No, these folks seek out people that are. And and I think something you said just a minute ago 
it's their humility as they pray. They don't, they don't have to be the smartest person in the room, these kingdom collaborators, although sometimes they are. They don't have to impress everybody around them with what they know. They're always asking the questions. They, so it just opens, it just allows these interesting uh, and insightful people to come into their lives because they're not, you know, trumpeting their own stuff as they go. So that, that humility, I probably should rewrite the book and put a section on humility in there, uh, but I don't know that much about it. <laughs> yeah, you can maybe it add in there. Short, what Moses, it would be a short section. <laughs> it's written oh, by man. the most humble of all <laughs> right. the kingdom changers. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I had a colleague who humbly suggested that I include this in my revised edition. Oh, and, uh, yeah, there you go. Well, let's let's talk about something different than humility for a second. Okay. <laughs> What, what about leaders? Uh, you know, how, how is it that some of these leaders that you've mentioned and, and some others are constantly feeding their curiosity? What are some of their practices? Well, I think that's a good phrase, too. I think you have to feed curiosity. I mean, uh, it's, it's ravenous. Uh, but you know, what's interesting is uh, you can't satiate it, uh, but about the only way you can starve it, but you can't overfeed it. Um, and so these these curious people they they make sure that they have access uh, they they just made to people who who keep them curious who keep them learning um, and this is very intentional I mean uh, the folks don't always tell you their strategies for doing that but I'm thinking about a couple of uh, people right now that I know that um, that I'm in a coaching relationship with and. And in both cases, they both each each of them has a strategy for meeting new people, and they know who they want to meet, particularly why they want to meet them. In other words, they know what they're trying to build, you know, into their life. I mean that that because they're curious about something these folks bring. I think the other thing that that a lot of uh, kingdom leaders will do to feed their curiosity is. They'll seek out places that um, that just inspire and motivate and challenge and um, I don't know give them fresh ideas. I mean, there are you know whether it's you know retreat place and it could be the same place they go to for you know like an owner or something you know that's a spiritual journeying that just keeps opening and fresh or or they may dial in you know uh, you know a safari or a a visit to a you know a medical uh, you know if they know a doctor I know one one pastor who who would take his team uh, once a quarter on some kind of learning junket and you know one of them was to watch a surgery I mean you know just to study teamwork in the surgical ward well I mean that was probably before HIPAA but uh, you know <laughs> imagine how many how many uh, sign offs you'd have to get now but. But I oh just my. thought, what a brilliant! Then I had another guy who took his uh, team to uh, had a pit crew come in from NASCAR, um, or actually visited a pit crew uh, at one of the just to to study, uh, you know, teamwork, and uh, you know because that's all. I mean, everybody knows their part, and they got to do their part, and they're all leaning on each other, and they're listening to each other. I mean, you know, to turn those cars. You know, the, those guys, for instance, that put the tires on, you know, take the tires off and replace tires, they practice, practice, practice with their eyes closed to do that. 
hitting those lug nuts. I mean, I mean, can, I mean that's how good these. And so, you know, just just uh, places that stimulate our thinking in ways we wouldn't get, uh, you know, and and, other, and then and then you can feed your curiosity too. I think by you know just adding your own life experiences, you know, doing something you haven't done. Um, you know, I mean, it's kind of a takeoff of going to a different place maybe than you've been before. But it, it, they, these folks just don't let their lives get into a rut. I mean, they have hobbies and, and people they enjoy and places they like to revisit. But, but the, gosh, they've, they've always got a new chapter they're exploring of some, some new experience. or um, And that, that can be experiential through reading or conversation. doesn't always have to be experiential by physical presence, but they're just adding to their experience all the while. Wow, Reggie. I I love this notion that uh, great leaders, kingdom leaders, kingdom collaborators, they they curry curiosity. And I'll try to say that, you know, even at the end (laughs) of our podcast here. You're still hanging in. Oh, yeah. This was a very stimulating uh, podcast, even, you know, I would say it's been a it's been a stimulating podcast for me because it's really made me think about some new ways that I'm going to approach um, being more curious, humbly asking better questions, and um, I appreciate the uh, insights that you've shared with us today, Reggie. And I'm looking forward sure. to our next two two podcasts in this series. You know, if you want to learn more from Reggie. You can contact us right here at info at goodcities.net. We'd be happy to respond to you. Um, Feel free to respond to any of these podcasts, or if you want to, you can sign up for these podcasts right right after you hear it today, and you'll be sure to get the next two in this series. Reggie, thanks again for this time. I I have to say uh, one of the best yet. So I look forward to to our next two, and – who knows where we're going to go after we finish Kingdom Collaborators. We're going to have to write another book. <laughs> I hope I'm that curious. Okay. Good deal. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks again. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Good Cities Podcast. We hope you'll subscribe and listen in on future episodes. To get more information about Good Cities, join our email list, or to find out how to get involved in making your city a good city, visit goodcities.net.